We're starting a brand new series in a brand new month that we hope brings brand new weather, but we're not getting our hopes up too quickly. You guys know what the low is for next Sunday? As of now, 48 is the low for next Sunday. And so, with all the energy that a 9 a.m. service can bring, and can I just say that 9 a.m. feels totally different than 8 a.m. I don't know what it is. It's like an hour, and I feel alive when at the 8 lately I've been feeling like, God, if you don't come through, this is not going to happen. All right, new series. Here we go. You ready? It's, it doesn't even really have a name. It's more of a symbol. It's a mathematical equation. You ready? It's called B is greater than do. B is greater than do. Here's, here's a one-sentence summary. Being with Jesus is greater than doing for Jesus. Being with Jesus is greater than doing for Jesus. I told our creative team, I was like, I, I feel like this artwork should be like a, a chalkboard, like a, a mad scientist was writing all these different equations. Anybody like math in the room? Anybody like math? Okay. Go ahead and look around. These are all strange people in the, in the church. Okay. It's, that's phenomenal. I don't understand you. Um, but you're really intelligent. I wanted to do a series about the relational connection that we have with Jesus being greater than any expectation he has for us. But I wanted it to come across like some semblance of peace in a world of chaos. When Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, and brought a message from heaven that God was bridging the gap from heaven to earth with a relational invitation from a heavenly father who created everything. Everybody was thrown off. A lot of you read through the Old Testament scriptures and it's difficult for you to picture this God of love and this God of grace and this God of mercy in the midst of so many stories of wrath and judgment I will say that our God is a God of wrath, and every ounce of his wrath is a reflection of his justice. And when you're reading through these stories, I think it's easy to go, okay, well, this doesn't look like the God of the New Testament. Well, our God is the God of the entire Bible. And when Jesus shows up to say, hey, the heart of God and all these rules he gave you was really to just show you what life would look like if lived at the highest level. God wants to give you the fullness of life and abundant life. But if you don't understand that God is less interested in what you do for him and more interested in your heart connected to him relationally, then you'll never understand this. And the Jews, God's people, the people Jesus was sent to, they were dumbfounded. They were like, what? It's about just drawing near to God relationally. This is so backward of everything I've ever heard. Now, in a similar way, a lot of us who grew up in church traditions that seemed to emphasize rule following over being madly in love with Jesus, we had a very similar reaction when we met Jesus. So wait a second. You're telling me that even though everything I've come to know about God seems like Ten Commandments, seems like do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, you're telling me to kind of throw that to the side and that Jesus just wants me to be with him. And he believes that the more I connect to him relationally, the more he will transform me from the inside out and my behavior will reflect the relationship that I am now a part of. You're telling me that that's who God is? Yes. That is the gospel. Our God is a relational God, not a transactional God. 
And the sooner this becomes the center of your God experience, the more joy and rest and freedom you're going to find in your relationship with God. And I just got to tell you, selfishly, I love getting to stand where I get to stand every week because this is a mark of Auburn Community Church, watching people who, especially in the South, grew up in traditions where the Bible was just hitting them over the head with rules and do this, don't do this, watching that light bulb go off of God's not mad at me and God wants me and God wants my heart and Jesus died to bridge the gap for all the errors of my past and all of the things that I couldn't figure out and God just, he just wants me to draw close to him rather than doing for him. I love watching people discover that. But it's more than just a theological discovery where you see, okay, God is relational, not transactional. It's something God wants you to experience. And something that our church is not experienced, and I'm not going to point the finger at our church, something that I am not experiencing is that this coming true in your life is supposed to turn your relationship with God and your daily life into a life of rest instead of toil and tiredness. And so while we have a group of people who believe this, and we're not the people who are going, okay, give me more rules and tell me more of what to do. No, we're running after Jesus, and you can see people do that in worship. It's a relationship. That's why some of you are looking around confused because people are really excited, and people are singing to a God who we actually believe is listening, and, and the relational thing is happening. But here's what's not happening, rest. See, there's a rest that comes over your soul when you realize, I can just be and the peace that comes from being a child of God will overflow into my doing? Yes. But even though I think we believe that in our minds, we're not feeling and experiencing that in our hearts, and we're not truly living a life of rest. And I'm the first in line of who's guilty. And that's why part one of Be Is Greater Than Do is titled The Weary Soul. The Weary Soul. We're going to talk about people who are weary in the room. Could you look at the person next to you and ask them, are you tired? Like, are you tired right now? Are you, are you good? It's a later service. Have you had your coffee? Are you tired? I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a nine-month-old. I'm always tired. Always. You don't have to ask. I live tired. But there was a explanation about the word tired that transformed my perspective about a year ago. Our worship pastor, Matt Cole, and I had this meeting that I've referred to a lot with some high-level leaders in the Atlanta area, guys who have been faithful to God for multiple decades, not just in ministry, but in business as well. And if you're around me some, and you're older and you've been following Jesus for a long period of time, you're going to get the same question from me every time. I always end up asking at some point, what's the key to longevity? How did you make it? Because I feel like I'm about to just sit on the sideline and I need to catch my breath and I'm 31 and I don't know if I'm still going to be healthy and doing what I'm doing right now at 51 and 61. Like I feel like the pace that my life is moving at is too fast. Like tell me how you made it long term. I'm interested in perseverance because by the way, perseverance is the goal of the Christian life, not perfection. We need to focus on perseverance. We should be obsessed Young people in the room, we should be obsessed with asking the older generation, tell me how you made it. Tell, tell me how you're still going. Tell me what's the key 
to longevity. And I'll never forget the first response from across the table. He said, for me, it's noticing the vast difference between what it means to be weary and what it means to be tired. They said, guys, pay close attention to the difference between being weary and being tired. Tired's a good thing. Tired means you gave something. Tired means you spent your life serving. They were like, you should go to bed every night going, I am exhausted, and that day was so great. Tired's not a bad thing. He said, weary, on the other hand, weary is what will get you. Weary is when you internally check out. It's when what should be a blessing in your life, like parenting, like working, like serving, has now become a burden. And it's when you internally get to this place where you're so disoriented that the reality of enjoying Jesus today is not actually yours. And I thought in that moment when he said that, pay attention to the difference between being weary and being tired. I thought, man, the Bible never explicitly commands someone not to be tired, ever. But the Bible has a lot of warnings about weariness. One of my favorite verses, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Let us not, you don't got to turn there. It's not where we're going to be living, but I got to put this foundation in place. Let us not become, say it, weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The key to perseverance is not necessarily avoiding tiredness. It's avoiding this internal condition where your soul becomes so weary and so over-exhausted over time that you're no longer functioning right in your relationship with Jesus and you're definitely not functioning right in your relationships with other people. And so here's, here's kind of a definition for what it means to be weary. If you're like, what's the difference? What's the difference between being weary and being tired? Being weary is the combination of overexerting yourself and not resting yourself that leads to an internal exhaustion that's more than anything physical. When Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, let us not become weary, he's saying don't let your spirit get void of joy and don't keep on doing so much more than your being that now everything I have to do has taken over the relationship I'm supposed to enjoy with Jesus and I am exhausted. Now, here's why we're talking about this. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. I realize that a more relevant message today would, would probably be to talk about something like anxiety or to talk about something like addiction, whether that be to a substance or a thought pattern or ways that we just can't escape, maybe to talk about relational difficulty like we talked about last week when we talked about family drama, hello. But I want to talk about exhaustion because I believe that if your soul gets weary, that's probably the reason why so many of us are anxious and so many of us are addicted and so many of us are in dysfunctional relational patterns. Did you know like anxiety and exhaustion are cousins? Like part of the reason why you're freaking out all the time is because your soul's never really at rest. Part of the reason why you're so susceptible to temptation, stuff that you would never do if you were thinking clearly in your right mind, part of the reason why you're so susceptible is because you're internally exhausted because your soul really hasn't been breathing. It's because you haven't really been with Jesus long enough to feel like yourself once again. You don't think that the reason why you keep running back to some of those things is just because you're not really you. And you don't think the reason why so many of your relationships are damaged, and I think about my kids, and I think about my marriage, and I think about our staff, and I go, oh, I have so many moments 
where I am going to bed at night and go, I'd love to have that day over again. And I'd love to have that conversation over again. And what is wrong with me? And the answer is, I'm weary. And if you're looking at all the patterns and the behaviors that might be the problem, I just want to draw your attention maybe to the fact that your soul is not resting by being with Jesus. You're just doing, 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 and no wonder you keep making destructive decisions because you're weary. It's dangerous. I got up in front of our church back at the Coliseum. Uh, this is uh, this is like six months ago, and I'll never do this again, because uh, at the beginning of a sermon, I was like, hey, guys, I just want you to know I got a word that I prepared, but before I give you the word, I want to keep it real, keep it 100, and so just tell you, like, I'm exhausted, and I'm not doing good. I wasn't very, like, clear about it, but I wanted to be authentic in the moment. I was like, hey, I'm not, I'm not well, but I, my job is to preach, so would you open your Bibles? And it was, like, the worst thing I could have done, because I was, like, bleeding out on stage, and then people couldn't listen to what I was teaching, because they were so worried. They're like, let's just pray for him and not even listen to what he has to say. So I won't do that again. That's not necessarily healthy. But I want to refer back to that moment where I did do that and just tell you about that. If you weren't here, just know, like, I'm, I'm trying to be as real as I can, but lead you in a healthy way from this stage. This is a very personal series for me because this is where I've been. Let me just tell you that six months ago when I said that, this is what was wrong with me. I was weary. I wasn't tired. I was at a point where doing what God had called me to do wasn't being rooted in who God calls me to be. And so internally, I was going, man, something is off with me. And I'm like being short with people that I love. And I'm like not enjoying the one thing I feel like I was created to do, which was to tell people about Jesus. Like, I don't know what my deal is. And I'm feeling like I'm, I'm just not, I'm not okay. And a lot of you are like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I was weary. And I'm still so susceptible to follow, falling back into those patterns. And so when I preach this to you, you need to know this is not a series about resting and vacationing that we're going to feel good about some new patterns and rhythms for our lives. This is a series about saving your marriage. This is a series about saving your soul. Do not already bracket, okay, to be with Jesus is greater than do. We need to all take vacations and we need to, if you think that way, nothing I'm going to say is going to help. I'm trying to preach into all of our tendency to over-exaggerate the doing and underestimate the being with Jesus. And you're going to see that Jesus actually believes that if you'll not only believe with your mind that God is all about relationship, but if you'll actually express that in your actions and in your behavior, your life will no longer be a burden and a to-do list of things that's always too long for you to accomplish. You can actually live a life that is refreshing and sustainable and the life Jesus died for you to live. So if this sounds like something you're interested in hearing more about and you have your Bible, hold it up all over the 9 a.m. service, hold it up, hold it up. Where we, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I just love this. If you need a Bible, sign up to get one at the resource table. And if you need a spouse, come to the 7 p.m. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I saw several posts this week of relationships that have blossomed, thanking me for the Bible drill. And don't thank me, thank the Holy Spirit. He's the one leading me. And um, 
I, I thought that was funnier than you acted. Wow, you must be really focused on turning to Matthew. Oh, you don't know where Matthew is? Really? Like, guys, come on. It's the first book of the New Testament. Like, uh, where's Matthew? Matt, just go to the middle, go to the right a little more. Matthew chapter 11, first book of the New Testament. The theme of Matthew is the kingdom of God. So I love having something written on the first page of every book in my Bible about why the author wrote it. Matthew is a former tax collector turned follower of Jesus, and Matthew's about the nature of the kingdom of God. It's an account of the life of Jesus in detail to teach us about what Jesus is all about in contrast to what so many Jews understood him to be. And in Matthew 11, we're going to start in verse 25, Jesus is actually giving a long speech of judgment against Jews. And he basically says, you have missed out on the message from God and you have had miracles right in front of your face. You have openly blinded yourself to what God was trying to say to you. And Jesus says things like, if these miracles that I just did had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But the people of God have miracles right in front of their face and they don't see it. I know some of you who are kind of on the fence about what you believe about Jesus, you're like, man, I just wish I could see a miracle right in front of my face. That attitude is actually the hardness of your heart. And even if you had the miracle right in front of you, I don't think you would believe because believing in Jesus is more about submission by faith and it is a response to true evidence. When you open yourself up to be loved by God, you find out that the reason for Jesus' resurrection goes hand in hand with the reality. It's relationship. Oh, that was good. If you want more about that, that's coming Easter 2020. Okay, Matthew, it really is. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So, so Jesus, is re- he's pronouncing all this judgment, and like you guys have missed it even though you had the miracles. And then randomly, mid-conversation, He just prays in front of everyone. And this is what he says to God. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son, except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's almost like Jesus has a moment where he goes, ah, Dad, that's what you were doing. Because he's, he's going off, and he's like, you guys have had so many miracles in this city, in this city, and nobody noticed that I'm sent from God. Nobody noticed that I'm the anointed one. Are you kidding me? You will be judged. And then he goes, I, oh, I praise you, Father. This is what you wanted to do. God enjoys using the simple to shame the wise in the eyes of the world. And he says, you've revealed to little children what the experts cannot see. This is what you were pleased to do. And it's in this context, within this prayer, that I'm about to read to you some of the most famous words about rest Jesus ever uttered. If you grew up in church, you know what I'm about to read. But I wanted you to know where it came from. He's like, you did this backward of what they thought was coming. And I'm in you, and you're in me, and now here's what it means for people. So this is within a prayer between Jesus and his father, and he says this, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. Within a prayer to his father is an invitation into that same intimacy Jesus has with his heavenly father. You want in on this? Come to me if you're, here's the qualifications for coming to Jesus. If you want to know if God's obsessed with your doing or your being, this, this will answer it for you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. If you have the message, bless you, because you're a little risque. But if you have the message, it probably says, come to me if you're burnt out on religion. Come on. If you're weary and burdened, that word weary and burdened in the original language is the word for uh, the daily labor of carrying one's pack. Jesus is like, if you're, if you're kind of crushed underneath the labor of what you carry in a given day, then you're, you're a good candidate to come to me because I've got this thing that you really need. I've got rest. And not like a simple physical rest for your body where you can take a nap and bounce back, but I've got rest for your souls. Now look at this. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've got a cover that 2,000 years ago, the way a lot of work would get done in agriculture and the way a lot of money was made in Jesus' time was through farmers. And what you would do with to oxen is you would attach a yoke that connected a strong ox to a weaker ox, and the stronger ox would determine the pace but also take on more of the load so that the weaker one could still be a part of the same amount of work but have less strain on them. Jesus is saying, I'm the strong one. <laughs> Will you just put this around your neck and like attach yourself to me and you'll notice that my yoke is easy. Now, a lot of people go, man, the Christian life is supposed to be easy. Ah, the NIV really takes some liberties with that translation. A better word would be refreshing. That it's going to be work. But it's not going to feel like a burden. It's going to feel like, ah, this is what I was created to do. Yes. Because Jesus is carrying the heavy load of doing things like, I don't know, making you right with your father, running the universe, taking care of your eternal security with him, um, oh, holding your children and your future and your spouse and your job in the palm of his hand while he holds the rest of the world. He's doing the tough stuff while the rest of the yoke is on you to just kind of be with him. That's your job. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is not saying that following him will be all rest and no work. He's just saying that the work won't overtake your soul and make your soul so weary that everything else seems to be going wrong. And so God instills in humanity this creative tension. If you're not listening, you really need to tune into what I'm about to say because in 2019, this is so relevant. God has put in human beings a creative tension. It's the double need to produce but also to contemplate, to be active and make a difference, but also to be in solitude and sit. And so because God has put into humanity this capacity to achieve and this ambition, one of the words that we like to take back in, in, at Auburn Community Church from the world is the word ambition. There's a rumor going around that ambition is something that shouldn't exist in the life of a Christian. Couldn't be more off. God wants you to have ambition. God wants you to accomplish great things. God wants you to work really, really, really hard. God wants you to make a difference in this world. 
You have an inner need for that. But listen, here's what's happened in the information age. Here's what's happened as we've gotten the technology and, 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 uh, and TED Talks and everything that, that just goes out into the world is we are overproducing content about that need and underproducing any kind of teaching about the need for our souls to rest. And so what's happening is we're raising up a generation that have become experts on maximizing their capacity and they cannot, will not, don't know how to sit still. So we're, we're like, I know how to do like leadership development and I know how to preach a good sermon or I know how to do what I do at my job, but then like multitask to be able to do this at home well and then I'm, I'm just trying to be really efficient and so I can move this here, there, that, and the other. And then it's like, okay, but can you like sit still for five minutes? And we're like, no. That would, be, that would be the most painful thing ever. Like, what would I think about? How would I maximize that moment? That makes, that makes absolutely no sense. And for me, personally, as soon as I graduated from college, I took a test that I encourage everybody to take called Strengths Finder. And it, it just, like, tells you when you're, when you're at your best. My number one Strengths Finder was, was what's called uh, being a maximizer, which just means, like, I'm obsessed with taking something that looks a certain way and then maximizing on it and going, okay, how, but how could that be perfect? How could, hello, ones on the Enneagram, even though I'm not a one, I wish I was. And, uh, and so I'm an eight. Uh, so, of course I said that, I'm an eight. And so, sorry, that was funny. Sorry, Matt Cole, he hates the Enneagram. Okay. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the thing. You have to have the ability to contemplate and rest your soul and the ability to maximize your capacity to be healthy, to have a healthy soul. The opposite of a weary soul is a healthy soul. And so I'm not in any way bringing forward to you some kind of monastic, like we all just need to get away for a long time and pray and go to a monastery. Well, I, that actually sounds really good to me uh, because of how restful that would be for my soul. I, I don't think that's the vision of Scripture. The vision is this constant back and forth of my soul being at rest in being a sheep, following my shepherd, and my life being active and making a difference for the kingdom of God. God created us for both to be healthy, but here's the thing. We're only doing one, and we're doing that one so much so that there's this internal state happening. Did you notice Jesus said, I came to give you rest for your soul? Isn't that interesting? He didn't say body. He didn't say, come and, come and lay down and... And breathe. He said, no, bring that internal part of you that just can't stop hurrying, that can't stop doing, and let me take over for a second. Let me be the strong ox. Let me be the one who's carrying the burdens that you think have to be on your shoulders, and let's just be. And so the bad thing that happens when we do and do and do is that the weary soul produces in us. And this is the saddest thing about what's happened to me the past year. And I think the saddest thing about this room right now, even your ability to sit through this sermon right now, we'll put this on the screen. What happens is the mark of a weary soul becomes a hurried spirit. So if you're here today and you're like, is my soul healthy or weary? How in a hurry are you? during your day. The mark of a weary soul is a hurried spirit. And so when Jesus says, I want to give you rest for your souls, this cannot be fixed with a vacation. This cannot be fixed with a quiet time. Because if you have a hurried spirit, it doesn't matter if you go on vacation. Your spirit goes with you. 
So over the last five years, being the lead pastor of a church, I've been told over and over again, you gotta take time off. You gotta go on vacation. And I'm like, I want to, yes. So here's what I do. I go on vacation and then I notice my spirit goes with me. I'm in a hurry at the airport. I'm in a hurry to get the towels and the chairs. I'm in a hurry to not make a wrong turn on the way to wherever we're going. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's anybody's parents like this? Like, I used to go on vacation with my family, and it's like my dad would freak out about any wrong turn, any, like, minute that we would miss on the road. we got to make good time because we got to go rest at the beach house. And it was like, oh, dad, we're literally going to take a time out from life, and it feels like we're, we're in a hurry. We're in more of a hurry on vacation than we were in real life. And so I've realized that generational sin's a real thing. And so I, I am like that, and I'm noticing that like no amount of physical, like, man, we just need to unplug. We need to just turn the phone off. Okay, turn the phone off, but I can't turn this voice off. I can, I can be sitting on a beach a million miles from Auburn, Alabama. And man, I wonder what's going on at ACC, and I got that text last week, and that family left the church, and that bothers me, and, and I wonder if they're, like, talking to their friends about what they didn't like about our church, and I wonder if I, yeah, maybe I should just, maybe tonight I should just turn my phone back on and call the elders and make sure, like, they, they got that. Maybe I should call Matt and, 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 and Cheryl and just make, and, and I just can't stop, and I just can't stop, and I just can't stop, and then I know for my wife, she would say this. She goes on vacation, and it's like, man, take a break from being a mom. Well, then we're, we're on a beach at a resort. It's really nice, and she's going, I just, I hope I hope Anderson's okay. I hope that the, is this, is this, is, is Elliot going to be okay? And she doesn't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We just, if you have a hurried spirit, it doesn't stop because you withdraw. This is a spiritual thing. This is not something that can be fixed with, okay, work on resting more. And so if the mark of a wearied soul is a hurried spirit, we're going to have to learn how to slow down. And I want to be very clear about this. What I am bringing to you in this series and what I am bringing to you today will not help you if all you think is, yeah, I need to work on that and I need to rest more. I need to rethink my rhythms. I need to, no, 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 no. That, it will not help you. Do not waste your time. If you're here today and you're scared to death of what your life might turn into if you don't start to get rest for your weary soul, and you're ready to repent of the rhythms that you've taken on that are not from God, and you're ready to actually go, I want to make war on busyness. I want to make war on overcommitting. I want to make war on my willingness to be overwhelmed. Guys, this is serious. And my tone is going to be especially serious because I realize what's at stake. I've gone on default for so long thinking, yeah, but just for this season, I can take on more and my capacity is like bigger than the average person so I can handle it, I can handle it, I can handle it. I am coming to understand that if I don't start to move my life at the rhythm that God has called me to, I'm not going to finish this race still preaching. And I'm not gonna finish this race as a great dad or a great husband. I might compromise the things in my life that mean the most to me because I won't rest my soul and be with Jesus, and you might do the same thing. So this is not like, guys, let's chill. This is like, wake up and realize you could be burning yourself out and do something so destructive that's not really you. And move your life at the rhythm that God has called you to. You've got to decide today. Do you want a healthy soul more than anything else in the world? The most surprising thing about the past decade of my life is how attractive internal health has become to me. 
Like I like during the day, I'll fantasize about what it would be like to really get healthy on the inside. When like 10 years ago, I would fantasize about, ooh, what if I was a part of like a growing church and what if I got to speak at that and what if I got this opportunity now? I'm like, what would it be like if I could like sit in a room by myself and be sane? What would it be like if like I was whole? And I think some of you have tasted what this world has to offer you and maybe even a version of following Jesus that doesn't feel like the rhythm God was calling you to and you might be like, yeah, I I want a healthy soul more than I want a lot of money. I want a healthy soul more than I want people to think that I'm somebody. I want a healthy soul more than I want anything. And guess what? When you do that, when your heart gets to that place, you've aligned your heart with the heart of God because that's what God wants for you. God does not want you spending your life weary and burnt out on doing and doing and doing. And I can preach to you all day about entering into a relationship with Jesus because religion says do, Jesus says done. Let me edit that. Religion says do, Jesus says be. And if you're not coming to him as the focus of your daily rhythm of your life, your soul's gonna get weary. So if you're ready to repent, if you're ready to go, I want a healthy soul more than I want anything in the world, like I want that, I want that, tell me how to get that. It's gonna be hard. It's going to require saying no more than you say yes, and it's going to require significantly reducing the amount of things in your life that you have tried to overcommit to. But here's what it looks like. I got one point today. Who's excited about that? Awesome. Here we go. The weary soul. One point. Hardest thing in the world. Resolve to slow down by being with Jesus. I want this to become the new normal of your everyday life. I love the word resolve. It's another word for repent. The word repent in the Bible has been used for a long time to be like this judgmental, angry word, but repent just means change your mind and go the opposite way. Like realize that this isn't working. I might wanna go back to where Jesus is. But I love the word resolve. It's used in the Bible when it talks about how Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego resolved that they weren't gonna eat the king's food. It means a decision with a firm foundation. Like when you resolve something, you're like, this is what I'm gonna do, and I'm not changing my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm set on what? Slow down to be with Jesus. The most important part of the daily rhythm of your schedule is that you have opportunities throughout the day to relationally connect with your heavenly father through your savior, Jesus. And it will require slowing down. And it will require going slower then you have the true capacity to go. This is the hard part about it. It's because when you hear slow down, but you're like, yeah, but I can go fast. Yeah, but that's, that's not healthy. See, I've, I've realized in my life that my tendency to slow down is like a slowing down just long enough to get back in and do and do and do. That's not Jesus' rhythm. I remember um, 
my senior year playing basketball. It was like the biggest game that we had that entire year because it was against our rival right down the road, and we did not like them. They did not like us. It was actually Courtney's high school. And, uh, and so I, was, I had that game circled on our calendar. I was like, I cannot wait till we play Kennesaw Mountain. I went to a school called Harrison, and, uh, and, and I had that game marked. But here's the thing. The day of the game, I had a 103-degree fever, and I was so angry. I was like, the one, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't remember what I had, but I remember being so sick. And, and, and my coach knew, like, I care about the Kennesaw Mountain game. So I, you know, got loaded up with ibuprofen. There was no way I'm missing that game. And, and I'm like, and my, and, and my coach knows how sick I am. So he comes to me and he says, here's how we're going to do this. Every time that you need to come out, just hold your fist up, come out of the game, drink some Gatorade, drink some water, and get right back in when you're ready. And so this is a one time that, that I did this because in basketball, you're actually supposed to rest for a significant amount of time to kind of regain your body and recalibrate. And so every time that I feel like, oh, my gosh, I can't even see straight. I can't even think. I'll throw up my fist. I'd get out. I'd drink water. And I'd get right back in the game and do that. And it was, and it was actually so much fun. And it was an awesome game. If you're like, did you guys win? Yes. And I hit, I hit the game winning shot. And so um, uh, why did you tell this story? You, you don't know the truth about that story is that um, we were winning the whole game. And Kennesaw Mountain took their first lead of the game in the last minute, and I was so sick and so disoriented. I promise you, the, the room was so loud. I, it's one of those where you're so sick that you're like, I don't even know what's happening around me. I legitimately dribbled the ball up the court. I got in front of half court, like where the volleyball line is on the basketball court, and I was like, this looks like a good idea. And I shot it, and it was one of those where it, while it was in the air, my coach was like, no, right? And then it went in, and he's like, yes, good job, Miles. And so I just, I just remembered that and wanted to tell you a story about victory. And so, but I remember that. And I thought about that this week, and I was like, you know what? The way I went about that game is the way I go about my life. I try to just go and go and go and then get what's the minimal amount of rest that is physically possible for me to keep doing this at the rate that I'm doing it, and then I'm back in. And what Jesus calls for is a state where your soul isn't just getting a sip of water, and then right back in the game. What Jesus calls for is a rhythm of retreat, a rhythm of I've got a safe place in you that I'm constantly going back to, and it will require me to go slower than I actually have the capacity to go, and it will require more discipline than the person who's overly busy. People who are overcommitted and overly busy are lazier than the people who slow down and make time in their life for Jesus to speak to them. So we see people who slow down and we go, oh, you're just, look at you. You're just an underachiever. You're just, you're not as high capacity as I am. You just, you can't stay on the grind. No, the lazy person is the person who keeps running at a thousand miles per hour and doesn't realize that this is killing their soul. It's it's the person who's dependent on Jesus and the person who actually cares about the state of their being long-term that goes, you know what, I could, but just because I can doesn't mean I should. I'm gonna live a life that says that the most important thing about what I do on a given day is slowing down to be with Jesus. Can I just tell some of you today that your biggest problem in your relationship with God is literally that you can't sit still. That you wouldn't want to. 
And you say to other people, well, things are just busy and I just got this. No, 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 no. You organize your life in a way that you're always doing and doing and doing and doing and you actually won't stop to be with Jesus and I think it's because you're afraid of what might be exposed in your soul if you do stop. You're afraid of how much you will have to let Jesus in on what happened between you and your parents if you do stop. And so let's just cover it up with more doing and more doing and more doing. I want to tell some of you the daily rhythm of sitting down, slowing down to be with Jesus is the most important aspect of getting your soul healthy. And don't you love Jesus' invitation? Here's, Here's the cure to a healthy soul. Everybody look up. Everybody look up here. Jesus says, if you want rest for your soul, come to me. Come on. I'm a a literal thinker. Where? How? What do you want? What do you want me to say? Is there music? Do I bring a book? The Bible? Is it what do I what does that time look like? And I could give you a million different tips about solitude and silence and listening prayer and speaking out prayer and the order that you should pray and how to read the Bible slower and one verse at a time. But here's the real reality. That's not really going to help you. It might. But the the core issue at ACC is we don't really care enough to stop and be with Jesus. And we don't realize the value of his invitation. Come to me means commit to time with me, even if for the first week it feels super awkward and like you're talking to the ceiling. Even if the first five minutes of being silent and breathing looks like, this is so strange and I want this to stop. Even if it looks like, I gotta like learn this over time. And so what I want you to understand is that the the solution is a relational drawing near to Jesus. And the only way you're going to do that is if you resolve in your heart that you're out. That I'm out of this version that the world has to offer me. I'm out. And you will disappoint people. I promise you, for me, this is such a personal message. I'm about to disappoint a lot of you in my availability. And I just... I choose a healthy soul, and I choose my family, and I choose the future, and I choose Jesus. And in that, there's a healthy rhythm that provides best for everybody. What you need the most from the people around you and what the people around you need most from you is for you to be healthy and be with Jesus. If I'm with him long enough, you know who I become? A forgiving person, a patient person, a merciful person, a wise person. He is everything good in me. Without him, all I have to bring to the table is hurriedness. And so I want to caution you, and I want to call us to repent before God, but I want to make just, it's one decision today. I'm going to slow down to be with him every day, and I'm going to let him define the rhythm of my life. I don't know if it's a prayer in the morning, afternoon, and night. I don't know if it's nights for you. I, don't, I can't, we're not going to get into all those specifics. Maybe we will at church at home at the end of the month. But today is about, do you care about this enough to do something about it? And I want you to legitimately, during our time of worship, right after this talk, take your schedule and simultaneously throw it into heaven and throw it in the trash. And go, okay, 
these things that I have to do, do not take preeminence over being a son, being a daughter of the living God. And I'm going to live my life at a healthy rhythm and commit to a healthy lifestyle that allows Jesus to be who he says he is. I thought about this line. This is how I want to close today. St. Augustine, some people call him Augustine. He's a father of the church who, in seminary, we read a lot about him, especially because I went to Reformed Theological Seminary. If you know a lot about church history, you get what I'm saying there. But his most famous line from his entire ministry is this, and I wanted to read the original. He said this in his book, Confessions. He said, because you, talking about God, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. You're weary not finding your rest in God because God has wired you to only be able to rest in him. And so if you're here today and you're a little bit discouraged by this message and you're going, what's wrong with me? And that would take a lot for me to get it right. It's God who's letting you become unraveled from the inside out. It's God who's trying to show you this isn't healthy and you need to change. It's God who's going, listen, you can't find your rest out there. I love this. Because you made us for yourself. What a divine revelation. Why was I created? Because God made me for himself. You know, God's like really self-centered. He like created everything for himself to enjoy him. And he's like, because you made us for yourself, our hearts are going to freak out unless we are drawn near to hear your voice. So yes, this looks like prayer. Yes, it looks like opening your Bible. There might be songs involved, but the main thing it looks like is time. And you need time to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus meets me here. I meet with him here, and I don't live my life doing and doing and doing and doing. I live my life being because I am first and foremost a child of God. It should bother you that the guy with a bigger mission than anyone who ever lived was never in a hurry was always willing to be interrupted and was never thrown off course from his personal communion with his father. Oh, I know you're important. Oh, I know you got a lot, you got a lot of people that want to meet with you. I know the test is big. I know you're carrying a load. You're burdened. You want to talk about a load? The sins of the world on Jesus' shoulder. Hey, save the world. And don't be a king and don't come with like a political revolution and don't come to like start an army, but just come and like love people and, and be a servant of all and start a revolution on planet earth that leads mankind into a right relationship with their heavenly father. And he's never hurried. He's always seeing the person right in front of them. And so today, ACC, you and I, need to repent. The schedule's going up in the air. It's burning away in flames. And we're going to learn how to slow down and be with our Heavenly Father. And it starts in this moment right now. You can put your notes away. Let's stand up all over this room. And I would just ask, that if everyone with heads bowed, eyes closed, would give 
those who are coming to the Lord a moment. Some of you are here today and your soul is not at rest because you've never given away your life in relationship to Jesus. We believe Jesus came down from heaven, died a sinner's death, was nailed to the cross for our sins, rose from the grave to give us hope for eternal life. And his invitation into heaven is an invitation to just be with him. So if you're here today and you've never said yes to being a Christian, what you've never said yes to is a relationship with God. And I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you've never said, Jesus, I give you my life. I want a relationship with my heavenly father. I, I just want to be with him today. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand wherever you are and say, I want my soul at rest eternally. I want to know where I'm spending eternity. I give my life to Jesus this morning. Do this with me. I want you to pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life best decision you'll ever make. Never be the same. For everybody else in the room, we celebrate those who are coming to the Lord. And what Jesus is calling for today, I believe, is our affection, our attention, our schedule, our time. And so I just want to invite you in this moment, even if you need to silently pray in your own heart, pray in your own heart or pray out loud with a whisper, just tell God that you're sorry. Tell God that you want to be with him. That you're glad he's not a transactional God. That he's not expecting us to do. He just wants us to be at rest. God, I thank you for those who are having a moment with you. I pray that this entire moment is a moment of surrender before your throne. I pray that what happens here wouldn't stay in this room, but we would leave here at rest in your presence. We love you, Lord. These songs are for you today. Take our lives, take our weary souls, and make us healthy again. Breathe into us in these moments. We're here to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.